Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Gone today. We're going to get all these healing ducks in a row. Amen. Everybody can be back at church at the same time. This is summer. And uh, it's like everything shifted a little bit season-wise for sickness. Amen. Exodus chapter number 3. I'll begin reading with verse number 1, verses 1 through 4. And then I'll, I'll just skip to a couple other verses. Amen. Today. I might be more. I ain't going to say it. Anyway, I'll just go on go to chapter number one or verse number one of exodus three the bible says now moses kept the flock of jethro his father-in-law the priest of midian and he led the flock to the backside of the desert came to the mountain of god even to horeb the angel of the lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush he looked he looked and behold the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed Moses said I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burned and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said Moses Moses and he said here am I Skipping to verse number 11, there's a lot of story in this, and we'll try to cover some of it, but rather than have you stand for all of it, I thought I'd skip. Verse 11, and Moses said unto God, Moses speaking to God again here, of course there's things that's taken place between verse 4 and verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Skipping down then to verse number 14, God is speaking and God said unto Moses I am that I am he said thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel I am have sent me unto you there may be three primary focuses throughout this today say primary it's not to say there's no secondary but primary that is verse 4 Moses says here am I verse 11 he says, who am I? Verse 14, God says, I am. Here am I. Who am I? God says, I am. I want to talk to us today about discovering God. Discovering God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray again. Jesus, I need your help in this place today. And pray, oh Lord, you would help us through your word bring enlightenment Lord Jesus to our own personal lives God let something said something shared I pray Lord let it let it resonate with someone God today where they may be and perhaps even through Lord the process of this surface there could be a discovery Lord Jesus of you Lord for someone in this place God or even perhaps all of us collectively Lord Jesus this morning God, I fail not to thank you, Lord, for what only you can accomplish, for only what you can do. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen. Everybody say amen. Look at your neighbor and say to them, discover God. Exodus chapter number 3 in the scriptures is a, a story that knows no bounds concerning age groups. Uh, I remember as a child growing up in Sunday school from my earliest memories, Brother Terry, had, had been taught the story of Moses and the burning bush. It, it, it knows no boundaries concerning age groups. Now, back in, I really hate to say this, but back in my day, I can use that terminology, I'm getting old enough, 
I can use that terminology. Back in my day, they would have the flannel graph board out. Now, the flannel graph board was like everybody's iPad today. All right. And they had the flannel graph board out with this. It had like this felt stuff on it. And then on the backs of these little pieces of paper. In reality, we're, we're something on the back that allowed it to catch on that felt. And you could just place those things up on there. And you could like put Joseph up there and take him down. And that was awesome. And so they, they could put up there a little burning bush and have Moses there. And man... It, God was never so close than when the teacher was using the flannel graph board in the burning bush and God speaking from the burning bush. So this, this story knows no bounds. As a matter of fact, this experience that the Bible describes that Moses had on the backside of the desert, it is so notable. It is so notable, not even to those of us of our generation, but it's so notable even to them of that generation, even New Testament scripture. We read in the Bible that the, the story of the burning bush that the books of Mark, Luke, and Acts, all three of them, made reference to this story. And it was so notable, they didn't, whenever they made reference to it, it's not like they had to retell the story. In the book of Acts, whenever uh, uh, Stephen was talking uh, before he was killed and stoned, he was kind of rehearsing the history of the children of Israel, and he kind of summed up this story just by saying, the bush. Now, now you've got to be real familiar with the story that you can just use two words and everybody knows what you're talking about. And he just said, the bush. And they knew uh, without doubt that they were talking about Moses and the burning bush and God speaking to him from the burning bush. So this is a very, very notable story. And the importance of this story, the importance of this event is that what happened was is a common man, common man, Moses, because in many ways, he is up to this point in time, a very common man. A common man learns more in-depthly about an uncommon God. It's really what's all centered around, about, about the uncommon and the common coming together. An encounter with the natural and the supernatural coming together. Amen. And so according to Acts 7, whenever Stephen was given his story of the history of Israel... He speaks that this burning bush experience that Moses had in the desert happened and occurred during Moses' 40th year, 40th year in the desert. Because whenever we read Exodus chapter number 2, we're reading about the birth of Moses. We're reading about how Moses was hid for three months. We're reading about Moses being put in the Nile River, about Pharaoh's daughter discovering him and taking him as her own son. We're reading about how Moses, when he came to years, went out and checked on his brethren. Amen. He's seen that one of his brethren was being smitten by Egyptian. He kills the Egyptian, hides him in the sand, comes out the next day, sees two of his brethren argue and say, hey, what's going on with y'all? And evidently word got out that Moses had killed an Egyptian and he flees off to the desert to Midian and it ends with Moses really going to the desert going to the Midianites it, it, chapter 2 ends with him going there and then chapter 3 opens up 40 years later and so we're really at a loss here of about 40 years I mean 2 ends with him going there and chapter 3 opens up it's his 40th year of being in the desert and since that time, the only thing that we know through other scriptures is that he's married the daughter of a Midianite priest and that he's had a couple of children. And so all we have really then between chapter 2 and chapter 3 is a silence, if you will, of what would seem like a silence of God for 40 years. See, we oftentimes go to uh, between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament between Malachi and Matthew and we talk about the 400 years of silence. Well, before there was ever 400 years of silence, we have a 40-year silence, as it would seem in the Scripture. Amen. And notice what, how the Bible, and I, I'm just kind of in a teaching mode here this morning, for now, in the time right now, the present. I am a teaching mode. And, and with that being said, notice the Bible says that Moses led his flock to the backside of the desert, and he has this encounter then with God through the burning bush what I think is significant here unlike other times uh, that God spoke to people is that God doesn't tell Moses get to the backside of the desert and I will speak with you there 
God doesn't, God doesn't give Moses any type of indication that he's going to be spoken to on the backside of the desert. Amen. He doesn't give him a heads up. Just letting you know, today's going to be a different day, Moses. You're going to be unlike any other. You're going to hear from me. What I think is important in this whole encounter is this, is that it was just an ordinary day. Just an ordinary day, amen, in the 40th year of ordinary days for Moses. Having taken and been over a flock, whether that was just sheep or goats or just sheep alone, Moses with this flock for 40 years, over the past 40 years, grown, no doubt Moses had grown very accustomed to ordinary days, attending to the flock for the past 40 years. Let me tell you something. And I know we could have testimonies right now, but we're not taking them. But nevertheless, if we were to talk to anybody that has done anything for 40 years or 30 years or 20 years for that matter, you fall into some system of a routine. Right? I mean, if we would allow you to this morning, you could get up and tell us what is your typical week because I know there's always bumps in the road but typically what is your typical week what does that look like you know brother Mason and you're going to talk to me about when you get up uh, when you have meetings when you don't have meetings when travel's thrown in there what you you know there's things that fall in the line of just being routine ordinary your life just grows accustomed to having ordinary days and so you got to think of Moses here for the past 40 years of his life he's been doing this so so the deserts become familiar to him he knows where the best watering hose are and where they are not. That's familiar with him. He's very familiar with his flock. He's very familiar uh, with the seasons that happen out in the desert. Uh, he, he's familiar with all of these things and his surroundings. But the Bible says God spoke to this ordinary man in the desert. An ordinary place for Moses on an ordinary day. And whenever we see that God spoke to Moses in that desert, my mind just starts to scan the scriptures and I understand very quickly that really even wasn't odd within itself either. Because I understand through scripture that God oftentimes did speak to people in the desert. Or for clarification, in their desert times. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word for desert comes from a root word meaning to speak. Amen. And so that I've understood for me personally, even in my own life, that it's in the middle of my desert that God communicates. Or it might even be better spoken like this. It's in my desert that I'm more apt to listen. <laughs> I... I really don't know if he ever quits communicating, but I'm not always communicating, which means speaking and listening. Amen? And so that God speaks in the moments of my desert. And for Moses, he was preparing him to be used for great things in the future. So Moses spends 40 years in this desert area. He's leading a flock. And he, he's eventually, now notice, God has been setting Moses up. For 40 years, he's, he's grown familiar with the desert. For 40 years, he's grown familiar with leading a flock, whether it's a goat or sheep. Nevertheless, listen, folks, those type of animals need some leading. All right? I think it was just on Twitter this week. They had this video of all these sheep that's going through the middle of the street of some foreign country. They said because their shepherd, I think it was, had fell asleep. Oh, it's, it's a good sermon for some time later. But their shepherd, and it showed this huge flock that was just racing through the streets of a city. And they says because their shepherd fell asleep. Well, that's what sheep do whenever they don't have a leader. When we talk about sheep and we talk about goats, they need a leader. And so here's Moses. So he's grown familiar with the flock. He's grown familiar with all these things. Amen. But here God is setting him up. Because Moses, I want you to get familiar with how it feels to be in the desert. And how it feels to be a leader of a flock that need leading. Because I'm going to have you lead a different sort of a flock someday through a desert, all right? And it's in that same place that if you can hear me now, I need you to be able to hear me then. You need to hear me now as a man, but I need, to hear, I need you to hear me then as a leader of a nation of men and a leader of a nation of people. And so here he is. 
40 years silence is broken on an ordinary day to an ordinary man, watch me now, that was sensitive to the extraordinary. He's familiar with the flock. He's familiar with the desert. For that matter, he's familiar with the bushes that are in the desert. For that matter, he's familiar with bushes that catch on fire in the desert. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about an arid, parched land. It was not uncommon, amen, for bushes to self-combust because they'd be so dry and from the heat of the sun and it just hitting right and, and reflecting off the sand, uh, the floor of sand that they were in for them to self-combust. There was nothing that was outside of the ordinary concerning that. So he's familiar with all these things. But what Moses was not familiar with was a bush that was on fire that was not being consumed. So silence broke on an ordinary day to an ordinary man who was sensitive to the extraordinary. And so here we read in Scripture that the Bible says in verse number 3, because of the bush not being consumed, this thing that is extraordinary, the Bible says in verse 3 that Moses says to himself, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burned. See, when Moses turned aside, we read, I believe it is in verse number 2, that Moses looked and he seen the bush and he seen the bush on fire. Moses looked and he seen what was happening. But then the Bible says with intention and purpose that Moses turned aside. And whenever Moses turned aside to further investigate, that made all the, di the difference. Because before he just looked, a bush is burning but not being consumed. That's telling me what is going on. But he turned aside because he wanted to know, look at it in verse 3, why the bush is not burned. The look said, what's going on? But a little further investigation, Moses wanted to know, why is this going on? As a matter of fact, Moses must have been confident enough that if he could turn aside, he could figure out why it was going on. And he was sensitive enough and not too calloused by his surroundings to further investigate why it was going on. Can someone say, amen? See, I, I liken this whole scenario when I see Moses looked and then he turned aside. That turned aside is really kind of a drawing near type of, uh, 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 of language because we see in verse 5 that the Lord finally speaks to him and says, draw not nigh, Moses, amen, any further. Take off your shoes because the ground you're on holy. So Moses must have been in his turning aside, drawing near to that which was extraordinary to him, that which was outside of the norm to him. And so he, as he draws near, amen, it took that turn aside to further investigate I kind of I, I kind of relate this to you remember the story in Luke 10 whenever there was a man who fell among thieves between Jericho and Jerusalem you remember that story and the Bible says that a priest came by amen from Jerusalem and he looked upon the man right he looked upon him and passed by the Levite came the Bible says he came and looked but he passed on by. But then the Bible says the Samaritan did what? Came to where he was. And further investigate. Well, that, that's what I kind of see Moses here doing. He wasn't just satisfied with his look, but he came to where he was to further investigate if he could find out why this bush was burning and not being consumed. Now, notice something with me, folks. And you'll notice this in, in perhaps verse, verse number four. Nothing happened until Moses turned aside. No. Yeah, I'm, yeah, the bush was already burning. That was already taking place. But I'm talking about any dialogue between the Lord and Moses. Nothing happened until Moses scratched his head and says, I need to find out why this is going on. So I'm, I need to understand why this is going on. And whenever Moses turned aside, the Bible says in verse 4 of Exodus 3, and when the Lord saw that, 
he, Moses, turned aside to see, the Bible says God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. God said, here's somebody that's not going to take at surface value what's going on, but they want to know why it is going on. And later we'll find out that his why really wasn't a why, it was a who. Moses just isn't interested with all the mechanics, the, 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 bling, the, the, the bang and the clang, if you will, of the mechanism. He wants to know what makes the mechanism go. Uh-huh. He's taking an ordinary man on an ordinary day, does something extraordinary, and that man's interested enough to know, I want to know how it happened. See, discovering God goes beyond just the ordinary day. It goes beyond just being accustomed to what always happens. It goes beyond to what we take for granted. It goes beyond the things that we grow familiar with. Because God took a very familiar bush, a very familiar fire in the bush, and said, let me do something just a little outside of the norm so that I will draw him to a place that he'll want to find out what's the purpose, what's the mechanism, who is it, why is it? Oh, oh someone say amen. amen. Woo! <laughs> but nothing happens with just observing what is happening. Something happens when you further investigate why it's taken place. The Bible says in James 4 and 8, this is probably just very, very well, James 4 and 8, the command, the, the imperative sentences, amen, to those whom James is writing, which is the 12 dispersed tribes of Israel, the Bible says, he says, draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. Moses was doing some of that. Or the Lord wouldn't say, hey, don't draw any nearer. He was doing some of that in turning aside. He was drawing nigh at this point in time. He was just drawing nigh to something outside of the normal. But whenever it got further into it, he learned that he was really drawing nigh to God. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Don't be afraid of the things that lie outside of the bounds of your normal. No, 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 no. Don't be afraid, can I say, in church services of things that lie outside of the schedule. Don't be afraid, amen, in your personal relationship with God with those things that come into your life that's outside of the familiar. Because if you will turn aside, if you'll further investigate not just the what but the why, you may discover what you're drawing close to is more than just something outside of the norm. It may be the handiwork of the almighty God. And so verse 4 says, when, everybody say when. When the Lord saw that he, Moses, turned aside or drew nigh to see, God called unto him. And here is the commentary of McGee on this, okay. God called to a man that had an eye for, or even maybe better said, called to a man that was sensitive to the extraordinary within the ordinary. That might be just really grass level for you, but man, that was something when God touched my heart with that when I read these scriptures. God called to a man that found the extraordinary within the ordinary. Uh-huh. Because ordinary becomes so ordinary to us sometimes. <laughs> Here we are. You know, it's Blue Monday for everybody you know that works. You understand? Here we go. Nothing new. Know what to expect. Clock in, clock out, eat lunch. Take egg salad every Monday morning. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But God says, here's a man that found something superb in just the normal. And here is even something that's even more wowing to us. Moses didn't sh just shrug it off. Moses didn't just shrug it off, but he drew nigh to it. He wasn't just appeased to know that it was happening, but he wanted to know why. 
is this happening for that matter here's one thing that I appreciate about Moses in his 40 years of being being a shepherd being on the backside of the desert here's something that I appreciate that Moses was not callous to the point like we get sometimes to think that he had seen it all 40 years listen to me take your occupation whatever it is you've been involved with for 40, 25, 10 years take it and you might even said the phrase yourself I tell you what when you've been doing what I've been doing for 15 years I have seen it all it means anything that ever came up could come up you've experienced you've already been there done that bought the t-shirt washed it dried it and got rid of it you sinned all. But Moses was not callous to that way. After 40 years of doing this for all these years, with this occurrence that happened, he wasn't taking the attitude, Bishop, that you know what? I have seen it all. He wasn't convinced that nothing could happen out of the ordinary. Was not convinced that nothing could happen out of the ordinary, but he noticed the extraordinary when it happened, and he noticing it happening right there in his ordinary day, his ordinary life in the ordinary desert. Why? Amen. And he desired to know why. Amen. And so, what God was doing here for Moses was really giving Moses, I believe, an object lesson. That's the reason why we led the flannel graph boards when I was a kid. I mean, today they can, make, they can make paper burn up and there's not even, you know, anything there. And they can take your, your sins that are as red as scarlet and make them white as snow and they got bleach and all these little tricks they can do. Back then, our folks didn't know anything about chemistry, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Flannel graph board was the object lesson, okay? And outside of you getting three people up and they playing, you know, a part and this one on the ground playing a part and being characters, that was the object lesson. But today they have all these newfangled ideas which are great and tremendous. But God was giving Moses the ultimate object lesson because what he was doing here was, Moses, I want to give you an object lesson about what I'm going to do in your life and the life of the nation of Israel. Mm. Yeah. Matter of fact, I believe God was a little bit proud that his subject, Moses, was interested in the why behind it all, which, as I said, was really the who. I think God was really interested that Moses wanted to know the why. Because I'm giving you an object lesson, Moses, that I'm taking an ordinary bush, placing a fire in it, which is ordinary. But in the midst of all that, I'm going to do something extraordinary. What I've done to this bush, Moses, now he's not saying this, but this is a good object lesson for Moses. He can piece together later. What I'm doing, Moses, is what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to take an ordinary man. I'm going to do an ordinary seemingly thing in him, but something extraordinary is going to come about. And the same thing, I'm going to go to the nation of Israel. I'm going to take an ordinary nation. And I'm going to do something. But the thing in all of those, whether it's the bush, Moses, or the nation, is always getting to the who behind it all. Discovering God. It was God that was in the bush. It's God that's in the man Moses. And it's God in the nation Israel. And it's no different a God that's in your life and my life and whatever we are doing. And however ordinary it may seem. So God talks to him when he turns aside and draws near and says, Moses, Moses. And Moses' reply to God is, Here am I. Now, it was not like Moses was trying to give God his location. Here's my coordinates, God. Here am I. It's not as though Moses was trying to... This is not a statement of Moses meaning, God, here's my location. But throughout the scriptures, when men and women, when people responded to God with those three words, here am I, typically throughout scripture, it denoted them that they were available to be used. Whenever a man or woman said to the Lord, here am I, what they were pronouncing was, here's my availability. 
I am available. If you'll turn or go to the screen with me, Genesis 22 and verse 11. This is the story of Abraham going up Mount Moriah with his son Isaac. He is on the verge of slaying Isaac just as the Spirit of the Lord had spoken to him to do so. And in verse 11, this is what the Bible says. He's on the verge of doing this. The angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I again. Abraham wasn't letting the Lord know where his location was. God already knew where his location was. But Abraham was wanting the Lord to know that even in the middle of trying to do what you said was your will, I'm letting you know I'm available. And God says, don't slay your son. Pull back your hand. There's a ram over here in the thicket. But Abraham responded with, here I am, letting the Lord know that in the middle of even trying to do your will, I want you to know I'm sensitive enough to be available. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 46 and verse number 2, amen, this is the Bible speaking that uh, Jacob is going to be going down into Egypt. His son Joseph is second to command. He's already sent, if you will, the, the, the wagons to go and get his father. Amen, Jacob is a little bit uneasy or not real sure about all this. And the Spirit of the Lord comes to speak to him in Genesis 46 and 2. And God spoke unto Israel, that's Jacob, in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am Ah, God knew where he was, but Jacob was just letting the Lord know, I am a little bit unsure about this trip down to Egypt stuff, but God, I'm available. And God spoke to him, I want you to go down into Egypt. And so he was just making himself available to God. First Samuel chapter three and verse number four. Amen. Samuel, Hannah has had a baby that she wasn't aforetime able to have. She had been barren, but God blessed her. Amen. With a child and he's born and he's now serving in the temple under Eli. And the Bible says that while he's asleep that the Lord God, God called, the Lord called Samuel and he answered, here am I. Lord knew where he was, but Samuel's saying, I am available. As a matter of fact, Samuel had such an attitude of wanting to be available. He was saying, I'm available whenever he thought it was, whenever he thought it was God, or he thought it was Samuel, the Bible says, not Samuel, Eli, when he thought it, I'll get it right here soon, multiple choice. He thought it was Eli that was the one that called him. And he goes to Eli three times. But even before he knew it was God, just because someone was calling, he was saying, Here am I. He was saying he was available. The Bible says in Isaiah 6 and verse 8, Isaiah's seen the Lord high and lifted up his train filled the temple. The angels are crying holy, holy, holy. Isaiah gets a picture of his own uncleanness and then the spirit of the Lord speaks to him and said also I heard the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Isaiah, here am I. Send me. He said I'm available. Now listen. Isaiah didn't even know what the whole job description was yet. All he knew was that the Lord needed somebody to go and Isaiah is saying, here am I. I am available unto you, Lord. And at the moment that he spoke that, then God is going to use him. Can someone say amen? And so here is Moses. He said, I'm, I can be used. I'm available unto the Lord. And as you read further down, and you might have to have your Bibles open. They don't have the verses of Scripture up there, but we're still in Exodus 3. If you go further down, you'll read in verse number 7. Amen. The Lord has already told, prior to this, the Lord has already told Moses about he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Moses understands now what he's dealing with here, the who, amen, of what he's dealing with here. And the Bible says, and the Lord said, I've seen the affliction of my people. Everybody say seen. I've seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard, everybody say heard, heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. Masters. For I know, everybody say no. For I know their sorrows. For I know their sorrows. God's telling Moses, I've, I've seen them. I've heard them. And I know, or if I may, and I'm aware of them. You know what God does in that moment for all of us? Not just Moses, but everybody. What God affirms in that moment is because whenever we are where we are sometimes, like the children of Israel were, their bondage, their toil, their hard struggle, we think that God doesn't know where we're at. 
doesn't know where we're at. He doesn't hear our cry. And he's not seeing what we're going through. But God affirmed to Moses and to anybody that reads scripture today, those folks that have been there, it may be 400, 430 years that they've been there, but I want you to know something. I've not missed one thing. I've heard their cry. I've seen their problems. And I know what they've been going through. I've seen, I've heard, and I know their difficulty. Now look, verse 8 says, God says, and I'm going to come down. That's what he says. I'm going to come down and I'm going to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and I'm going to bring them to a land. Right? God says, I'm going to come down. I'm going to take them to a land. I'm going to deliver them from the Egyptians. Now look at verse 10. God speaks to Moses and says, come now therefore, I will send thee unto Pharaoh. Hold up. God, I mean, this was really sounding good. I mean, I was in the saddle with you. You're talking about hearing your people, knowing your people, seeing your people, talking about coming down, talking about delivering them, yeah. Talking about bringing them to the promised land. And now you said you was the one doing that and now you said come and I'm sending you. God, there's a big difference between you coming down and delivering them and you sending me, Moses, an ordinary man that's been doing an ordinary thing for the past 40 years. There's a big difference. You're going to send me and my people's going to be brought out and it's in that moment of time in verse 11 that Moses says, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who am I? Folks, there's an, in a very literal way, very literal way, that Moses could have even been questioning his own identity, very literal way, because if you think of it, Moses was born an Israelite. He was taught up through the greater portion of the first 40 years of his life as being an Egyptian. And now, for the past 40 years of his life, he has been a Midianite. So there is a very literal, who am I, you know, tucked in this scenario of Scripture. However, when we read the Scripture, we see other places in Scripture where people have asked, who am I? Amen. 1 Samuel 18 and 18, and I'll have to turn there today, and you may need to do the same. But 1 Samuel 18 and verse 18, the Bible states these words. David is being spoken to about how the Lord is going to prosper his kingdom. There's going to be someone to set up on his throne. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 18, 18, David, after hearing all of this, says, said unto Saul, who am I? What is my life for my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? All right, wrong story. What this is about is that David has been made a proposition from King Saul that he was going to be his son-in-law. If you can go get uh, the, 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 the foreskins of the Philistines, I will make you my son-in-law. David is overwhelmed by this. He's questioning Saul about the validity of David, the shepherd boy, being the son-in-law to the king. And so he asked, who am I that I would be the king's son-in-law? So whenever David is expressing who am I, he's basically saying this, my ability, a shepherd boy, to be the son-in-law to a king? As a matter of fact, oftentimes, in the other scripture that you would read in the scripture, is whenever God is speaking to David about being king and one's going to be sitting on his throne, and then David even speaks to God in that notion and says, God, who am I? It's David that wrote in the Psalms. He says, whenever I consider the heavens and the stars and the works that you have done, he said, what is man? That thou art mindful of him. And so when people spoke, who am I? It's commonly, they're using in the sense that they're considering their own insignificance when they ask, who am I? So first Moses tells God, here am I, I'm available. But now he's telling God, who am I? I'm insignificant. I'm available, but I'm an insignificant available person. Amen. I'm an insignificant available person. But here is the real deal, folks. Whenever God responds to Moses 
in Exodus 3. And he's answering, if you will, the question of who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. God really never answers the question of Moses, who am I? God never answers the question to Moses of who am I? As a matter of fact, if you start reading from there on out, God's talking and what God is talking a lot about has nothing to do with Moses, but has everything to do with God. God's answer to Moses about who am I is that God started to talk to Moses about who he was. Yes. Yes. He didn't give Moses everything that he was. He started talk, God started talking about I am that I am. I'm the all-sufficient one. I'm the creator. I am who I was. I am who I is. Bad English, but I am who I will be. I am that I am. What are you saying, God? I'm saying this. Who you are is really immaterial. Who you are is really immaterial. Because I know, firstly, that you've already said, here am I, that you're available. Your availability is more important than the significance that you have. So I'm not addressing who you are. I'm going to tell you who I am. Because the reality is who you are is immaterial. I don't care where you've been the past 40 years and what life may have been and what you feel like all of your perks and abilities are. I don't care about all that. Because when it comes down to it, you heard me right the first time. I'm coming down. I'm going to deliver my people and I'm going to bring them in. But what I need is a vessel. What I need is an availability of a vessel. And you said, here I am. You're available. I don't need to know anything else about you except your usability. Because I am God. Someone say amen. It's, it's just amazing to me because God uses the rest of what he's talking to Moses about. Talking about himself who he was and listen folks it is not uncommon that whenever God wanted to put men women on a mission for his purpose that were available that they didn't start coming up with their own identity crisis and problems that they had go back to Isaiah you can see before he ever said here am I send me what did he do prior to that he starts talking to God before the mission ever came. I'm a man of unclean lips. Yet even him proclaiming, I'm a man of unclean lips, whenever God says, who shall I send? Is there anybody available? Isaiah says, I'm available, and God sent him. He sent a man who had been a man of unclean lips. Why? Because he was available, and God sent a Moses. Though he may have been a stutterer, couldn't say things real well, and had been on the backside of a desert running perhaps from what he knew he should be doing. God said, if you're available, boom, you're the man. I'll come down through you and deliver and bring out and bring in. Someone say amen. amen. Jeremiah comes on the scene in the first chapter. The Bible says even from his birth he was ordained to be a prophet. You know what Jeremiah's retort to all of this is? He says, God, he even says, I cannot speak. He says, for me, I'm a young man. What's he talking? He starts talking about God gives him a mission and then he starts talking about his ability to accomplish the mission. He said, you got it wrong. Anytime I send you on a mission, I'm not looking for your ability. I'm looking to use my ability through your availability. You hear me? So we want to discount why God can't use us on a mission because we know who we are. God says, that's the reason why I'm using you. Because when at the end of the story comes, they're going to know that Terry McGee didn't have anything to do with that. That was all a God thing. And when the cards are down in the end, I want people to know that it's me that get the glory. There's no man, woman, boy, or girl that can glory in what they've done. The only thing they've done is make themselves, here am I, I'm available but to the Lord. And I have a sensitivity to the extraordinary and the ordinary. Yes, 
Someone say amen. amen. David said, also, who am I? Jonah. God says, I got a mission for you. Go to Nineveh. I'm going down to Joppa. I'm going to catch me a boat. I'm getting out of here. You want to talk about being confident in what he could do. But God used all these people because of their availability. So we have Moses. Moses at one time is asking God, you know, you just go and strike me dead. Elijah did the same. We read in Jeremiah, he says much the same. Jonah, the same. Here's all these people that God's wanting to use for a mission. He's praying, you kill us. Kill us. Because we're not worthy to be used in this capacity. God says, I'm not dealing on your worthiness. I'm standing on my own worthiness about what's going to take place around here. So I'll say amen. The final thing that the Lord spoke to Moses. Where Moses says, well, if I'm going and I'm going to your people, they're going to want to know who sent me. What shall I say to them? What is your name? The Lord said unto him, I am that I am. I am have sent me unto you. you, you Moses, you said, here am I. You said, who am I? But my response to you is, I am. What, what happened in this moment? Through being available and through his feelings of insignificance, Moses has made a discovery. The same discovery that he made in the burning bush. That behind the fire and the not being consumed was God. And behind his own availability, yet insignificance, was God. And behind a nation's bondage, loosing, travel through 40 years in the wilderness to Jordan into the promise. The discovery of it all in all that is still yet. God, the manna that fell, God. The water from the rock, God. Huh? The quail, God. There was, you say, well, you know, people are today, it's all about self-discovery. You need to discover yourself. You need to discover yourself who you are. You know what God said about Moses' self-discovery? Who am I? You'll learn better who you are when you learn who I am. Because the only true view of who you are can be visualized through who he is. I gotta hurry up. Gotta close. Right. Yeah, got to. I'll close with this, maybe. <coughs> Thomas Edward, initials T E, notably called T E Lawrence, was born on August the sixteenth of eighteen eighty eight in Wales. Properly known as Lawrence of Arabia, and Brother Mason, you can come. You'll help me. End. Lawrence became famous for his exploits as a termination. They had a wonderful visit, appeared before the Joint House of Commons and Parliament, and had an audience with the Queen quite a day. But on the last night of their visit, Lawrence offered them anything they wanted to take back with them to their desert home. When he said that, they led him up to the hotel room and to the bathroom, pointed to the faucets in the bathtub and said that they wanted to take the faucets with them. That would provide them with running water in the deserts. They didn't realize that the faucets were superficial, that behind the faucets was the plumbing. And behind the plumbing was the hot water heater, and the energy source that heated the water, and a city main that supplied the water. And from the city main went a line to an outside source for the water. Exclaimed to them, he said, boys, he said, the magic is not in the faucet. It is what is behind the faucet that gives the water. If you can stand me today, I believe discovery of God is this Moses it's, it's, it's not the bush it's not the burning of the bush 
It's not even the bush being burned and not consumed. It led him to that discovery that there's something behind all of this. He discovered God. It's not the man. It's not the man, Moses, that was spared as a child. It's not the man. He just, as the faucet, made himself available. But behind the man, behind the who am I, is the I am. Oh, the nation. We do. What a great nation. In the Jewish heritage, they have withstood many woes and many calamities and many times of destruction and war during out their generations, even to the present. So numerous that we could even barely stand here today and tell. But in essence, it's not the people. It's not the people in their long line going back to Abraham, for that matter. It is the discovery that there's something behind the people, the nation. It's the I am, the God. We need to discover God today. The fact of the matter is this. He shows up in ordinary places. And he shows up in ordinary moments. And he shows up in the commonality of your life. But we must be sensitive to those extraordinary moments that happen in just normal, normal times. I believe this morning during the first part of this service was an extraordinary moment of a discovery of God in just a very ordinary three songs and a prayer service. How's that happen? Because somebody drew nigh to what they noticed was outside of the norm. And as you drew nigh, you said, God, here am I. I'm available. And all we need to know from there out is, He is the I am, the self-sufficient one. Hallelujah. If we embow our heads in this place today, Father, I come to you. These altars are open if you desire to come. If you desire to come, these altars are open. If you've been writing down the list of... Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.